Hello, hello, my love. This is Victoria Albina, and today we'll be mapping codependent thinking on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Victoria Albina. Oh my gosh, I loved this conversation, and I think you will too. Victoria Albina is a certified life coach, UCSF-trained family nurse practitioner, and breathwork meditation guide with a passion for helping women realize that they are their own best healers so they can break free from codependency, perfectionism, and people-pleasing and reclaim their joy. She is the host of the Feminist Wellness Podcast, holds a master's degree in public health from Boston University School of Public Health, and a BA in Latin American Studies from Oberlin College, which is where my son goes to school. Victoria has been working in health and wellness for over 20 years and lives on occupied Lenape territory in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. I am excited about this conversation we're going to have. And I'm wondering if you could start us off, Victoria, by defining and describing codependent thinking for us. Yeah. So codependent thinking is the chronic thought habit of sourcing our worth and value as human mammals from other people instead of from within ourselves. It's about over-functioning in someone else's life, often everyone else's life, but under-functioning in our own. So we end up chronically putting the focus of our lives on somebody else, on our job, on our patients, on everything instead of taking care of our own needs first. And because we don't believe we're fully worthy of love, we choose partners, jobs, situations that will confirm those fears. Situations, circumstances that demand love, respect, and care, but who cannot give the same back. And from that fear that we are unlovable, we stay in those relationships and circumstances. Oh my gosh, like mic drop right there, just in terms of thinking about how so many people interact in the world. And as you know, I have the opportunity to train thousands of coaches and clinicians every year. And this is one of the biggest barriers I see in people moving ahead with their careers. So I'm curious if we can make a distinction between how we might see codependent thinking manifest for our clients and patients And then I would love to get into how it arises for ourselves as clinicians. So let's just first, what happens in the client or patient population so we can make it about them for a second? 
Yeah, absolutely. So from that place of not believing we're worthy of care, well, we can talk about what happens in the nervous system. What we actually see is this chronically saying, I need to come last in order to believe that I am worthy. So I, instead of taking my supplements tonight, I'm just going to take care of the kids' school lunches first, and then it's 11 p.m., and then you don't want to take your supplements, right? It's going to your mother-in-law's, and she's insistent that you eat her lasagna, but you know what happens when you have a belly full of gluten and dairy, but you don't want to offend her. You don't want to upset her. You don't want her to think something poorly of you because there's nothing worse in the world because it confirms that story within you. You're not worthy of love, so you eat it, and then you feel sick for three days or or three months, right? It's right. that constantly saying, it is my job to manage everyone else's mood, energy, life choices, right? I yes. have to fix everyone else instead of taking care of me, which I think that last point, being that martyr, that savior, that saint, that fixer is a really natural segue into what we do as clinicians, as coaches. We take our clients, our patients' lives on as our mission in life and not just our day job. Mm, so much. I see this. <laughs> right? So much. And, I, you know, let's talk about burnout, right? It's a one-way ticket to Burnoutville USA because when we are taking things personally, our ego is getting involved. And egos are beautiful things. Without them, we are psychotic, right? We love a healthy, balanced ego. But when we allow other people's life choices to really impact our sense of self, then we have no choice but to be resentful. Yeah, I think you said it earlier in even identifying the reality of the patient in their codependent thinking. It's that idea that we have to fix everything and everyone else besides ourselves, And that's what I see coaches and clinicians doing. It's my job to fix this person. If I don't fix them, I am a failure. If they come yes. forward with some question to me and I can't answer it, I am a failure. Therefore, what am I doing this work for? What's my value in doing this work? I didn't fix them. And it's funny, like that never crossed my mind as I was doing the work because healing is a journey and there's so many things that impact it. And I always like to think of it as serving, not pleasing. And it's one of the mantras we have inside of the curriculum. But people are still stuck in pleasing. Is that the codependent thinking? Definitely, right? So at the core of codependent thinking is this, I'm not enough wound. So of course, imposter syndrome is part and parcel of that. Part and parcel of this as well is black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, good and bad thinking, this extremes of thinking, because we cannot continue to live from codependency if we are not in the extremes. Someone has to be good to prove that we are bad. Whoa. Okay. So how did we get here, Victoria? Like, is this primarily women or females who are experiencing this? How do we get here? Why do we have these thought patterns? We're taught them, right? So these thought patterns are modeled for us, either from our family blueprint, from our family of origin. And humans who are socialized as women are conditioned. We are trained. We are taught to be a good girl, to be quiet, to help mom with the dishes while the boys go relax or watch the game. We are taught to put everyone else ahead of us. And we're taught to make things nice for dad when he comes home from work, make things nice for your boss, make things nice for your husband. Like we are 
are taught to be subservient to men. And yes, this is a generalization, but it's also, it rings true across so much of the experience of humans socialized as women. Yeah, there's so much to that. I've been thinking a lot lately about this socialization and how when we are strong females in this culture, we definitely get shot down for it. So when you are not subservient, the feedback loop is not necessarily a positive one. And so there's almost more of a positive feedback loop for being a codependent thinker. Of course, right? It gets you all the accolades. It gets you the prize for like the quietest, best student in class. We are actively taught that we are a better woman, we're a better partner, we're a better person if we're not actually there. Mm. That really stinks. It really sets us up to not live into the essential human task, which is to show up in the world from our authenticity, from our integrity, from the truth of who we are, what we need, because what we want and need matters. Showing up as ourselves allows us to be interdependent, to build relationships with our family of origin, in our romantic relationships, our friendships in clinic that are interdependent. They're based on mutuality and reciprocity. They're not based on subservience, someone being the martyr, the savior, the saint, the fixer. It's a relationship between equals. And we get to reclaim and re-embody, somatically embody our own worth so we can show up to the table and say, I matter, you matter. We matter equally. We can have secure attachment between us versus the anxious attachment that many folks go to from codependent thinking, which is your needs matter more than mine. Or the avoidant attachment that we can also go to, which says, yo, my needs matter more than yours. I'm not even here for love. Yeah, I have so many thoughts running through my mind, Victoria, when we do this for ourselves we're able to be that coach, be that clinician for our clients and patients. We're able to model for them and help them to see. But when we're not there, we are modeling the kind of behavior that supports them not taking that self-care, not taking care of themselves, essentially. And how do we get there? And I have another thought there, but I want to ask you, like, how do we get from that conditioned thinking to that inter? dependence. Yeah. Awareness, acceptance, action, Mm. right? So it's like any other clinical model. If we don't know what the patient's eating, how can we tell them how to change their diet, right? right? If we don't have labs in front of us, well, we're just going to guess they're anemic. Like that's not kind, right? (laughs) And so awareness is that first step of really stepping into being our own watcher. So we can start to see, remembering, I don't believe anyone is codependent. I believe that we have chronic, habitual, codependent thought habits, perfectionist thought habits, people-pleasing thought habits. So we get to really hone in on seeing those habits. So if your client emails at midnight and says, I have this question about something you already told me three times, are you going to jump into the fray there and be their mom? Is that the choice that your brain goes to? Or do you want to empower them and say, hey, Becky, I'm going to invite you to review the last three emails I sent you, see if you can find the answer for yourself, and then come on back to me, babe. Yeah, and do that at 9 a.m., not at 12 (laughs) a.m. 
Yeah. <laughs> Send that answer. <laughs> exactly. Right. Are you going to be looking to your clients and your patients to fill that void of worthiness in your heart? And are you going to try to do that for them? Mm. Are you going to allow them to be the everything in their life and you are their guide? Or are you going to ask them to fill that everything void for you, right? How are you going to choose to show up? So we need to raise our awareness. And then, and this step is challenging for sure, but acceptance, like it is true that my patient is anemic and I tend towards codependent thinking. I don't need to beat myself up for that. No more than she needs to beat herself up for not taking her Ferrishell. Like right. we, nobody needs to do that, right? That's always a choice and it's always optional. So we get to ground ourselves and these habits were taught to me. I learned them as survival mechanisms in childhood because children are amazing and brilliant and incredible and recognize what they need to do to get love and care, safety and security, a roof over their heads and food in front of them. Yes. So well said. It's interesting, Victoria, when I think about my own trajectory and the loss of my husband, you know, nearly 20 years ago, and there were so many odd I'm going to call them blessings. You know, losing him was not a blessing, but I had to become the parent, you know, really yeah. both mother and father. And what I watched around me because I had a small child was that when most of my peers were unhappy, they would blame their partner for that unhappiness. And what I realized is that all I had was the mirror. And so there was a part of me that was retraining myself not to look for my happiness or to blame my unhappiness in an other. And somehow that makes me in some ways what some people might call too independent. Like I don't look for my self-worth in a lot externally, at least in my personal relationships. Maybe I do in my work in, in some ways because it's part of my identity, <laughs> but not in the relational part of the work. And so it was a hard lesson to learn and one I wouldn't wish on anybody. What's the more gentle way we engage in this practice of looking in the mirror to find ourselves and our own worth reflected back to us from ourselves? If I'm catching that right. Yeah. For me, it really starts with reparenting my inner children. Mm. That for me is one of the tenderest roads in because it's really hard for most of us to be mean to children, right? And so if we can either get a physical picture of us as a baby, as a two, four, six, eight-year-old, or can imagine ourselves in our mind's eye, when I find that voice that is unkind to me speaking up, that voice that says, don't connect, or that voice that says, anxiously attach, right? Make this person your everything, whichever extreme we tend towards, I just ask myself, how would I talk to the eight-year-old version of me? What would I say to that sweet baby? Right? What would my own most loving parent, the parent that fiercely and unequivocally has my back, what would she say? How would she show up? And then when I can embody that voice, and listen, it feels really goofy and weird and awkward and cringy, and that's fine, right? But it feels weird at first. 
And then nervous systems, right? We find ease. It eases us into ventral vagal, the safe and social part of our nervous system with ourselves. And then from that place, it just gets easier and easier. It just becomes a skill in our toolbox to choose love, to choose kindness, to choose compassion. Right. Would you call it meditation, this practice? Mm. So as a student of the nervous system and someone who thinks a lot about stress, distress, and trauma, I do offer a lot of meditation to my clients, but always with the caveat that if it feels unsafe to be in your body, meditation is not the choice for you. Mindfulness is. So mindfulness can be, I'm washing my hands and I'm feeling the cold water on my hands. I'm smelling the nice citrusy note of this soap that I'm using. I am mindful. I am holding a cup of tea and it is warm. I'm sitting outside and I feel the sun rays on my skin. So it's more about getting mindful, which what we're doing there is an orienting exercise. So orienting the nervous system is about locating ourselves in time and place versus going internally, which can be activating for the nervous system. So either mindfulness or meditation. And then the reparenting practices I do are really visualizations. So closing my eyes, getting in bed, and like getting snuggly. You know, I'm 42 and can prescribe in multiple states and I've still got my teddy bear. So I will mm. snuggle up <laughs> with Robin and, <laughs> and, and we'll talk. I talk to that stuffed animal a lot mm. because it's part of what makes me feel safe. And I am grateful to the work that my past self has done that I feel no shame about that and like announcing that on a podcast, right? That like, I'm an animal who deserves tenderness, as is everyone listening. And we deny ourselves so much tenderness in the name of keeping these codependent habits alive because we believe they are the road to safety in the nervous system. And they were once, and we can honor that, right? These habits served us for so long, and they just don't serve us anymore. Mm, so much wisdom. I could talk to you for hours, Victoria, and we're going to link to lots of your writing and your meditations in the show notes. Knowing that you're talking right now to coaches and clinicians, is there one thing you wish we knew, whether it was before going into a particular session or before starting the day where we are in those therapeutic partnerships? Is there one thing you wish we knew or would do to support our Themselves. Drop the story that anyone needs you to save them. Mm. Your clients don't need you to save them. No one needs you to save them. They need you to be a guide, to be a firm, loving guide who models true self-care, true boundaries, true limits, who doesn't overextend and then get resentful. Because if you continue to do that, to put their needs so far above your own, thinking that that will do emotional work for you, you will burn out and you will leave the practice of coaching and medicine because you will not be able to function. Your adrenals won't be able to function. The migrating motor complex in your small intestine won't be able to function, right? You will not be able to function if you continue on this pattern of putting other people ahead of you and attempting to fix or save anyone. It's also really paternalistic, right? It's really yes. condescending when you it's get true. down to it to think, right, that anyone needs you to save them. Just really focus on how you can support yourself and model that 
compassion and self-love for the people you are in service of. Mm. So brilliantly said, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us. I could really talk to you for hours and I'm so grateful for the time with you. It's been such a delight and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place. I'm grateful for you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 